0: Welcome to What the If, the best podcast under the sun. Gabby and Matt are here. I'm, uh, I haven't, we haven't, we haven't uh, introduced ourselves in a while. I'm Philip Shane. I'm a documentary filmmaker. And, uh, I think it says on my, uh, about page that I am a uh, maker of movies, lover of science, always a geek, never a dweeb. Oh,
1: uh, that's, that's my official, uh, thing. How about Gabby? That's, how that's, would... that's a long thing to have like tattooed on your forehead though.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, fortunately I have a very large forehead <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, and, and it's in a very small font. Yeah, small point size. Um, Gabby, how are you? How 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 do you identify?
2: I think my bio says something to the effect of uh, like a plague doctor, but much lamer, um,
0: <laughs> which I think
2: is actually pretty accurate since I have to, you know, be concerned about safety in the uh, oh, yeah, BSL-3. Yeah,
0: indeed. And you are at Rockefeller University.
2: Yep. Grad student um, in virology.
0: In virology, indeed. Um, so you've been very busy. Um, are you working on anything uh, COVID-related?
2: I'm not, but a bunch of people in the, in the lab are. Um, right. Sort of our, our BSL-3 was commandeered for most SARS-CoV-2-related things. And I'm just like, I'm working on West Nile. It's not as important, but here I am. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, you know, it's not East Nile, but it's, it's
1: something. <laughs> Something.
2: Yeah, you really got to be concerned about that East Nile, you know? The East Nile
0: is worse. the worst. Mm-hmm. People right. don't even
1: it's, talk if, about it. Uh, yeah. Assuming the East River is a uh, uh, the, the calibration for, for bad rivers. Then yeah. yes,
2: oh my hard. God. Could you imagine an East River virus? Not good.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and Rockefeller University right there on the East River. So if there was a problem, you guys would be on it.
2: It'd be pretty easy to get samples, you know. Just hoist a bucket over the edge of the river campus, right into the water, bring it back up.
0: Exactly. Exactly. You could probably get a grant for that. Uh, Matt Stanley, how do you identify,
1: sir? Uh, Identify as human. Um, Oh, oh, good. uh, Despite evidence to the contrary, Um, (laughs) and in my spare time, I'm a a historian of science, and. Somehow I have persuaded New York University to uh, pay me to do stuff. So, all right.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good. The power of persuasion. Power of mm-hmm. persuasion. Um, we have, uh, uh, real quick, so for those who are new, Gabby, what is this show? What have they accidentally stumbled on? Their Their podcast app has suddenly served up this strange thing.
2: Yeah, so you have stumbled into a cohort of nerds and two thirds scientists um, (laughs) who are trying to do thought experiments um, and see us where they lead, uh, see where they lead us, which is usually to breaking the universe to some extent. That's right. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I I feel like we haven't done our job if we don't break the universe a little bit. It's like Mythbusters. If nothing explodes, what's the point?
1: (laughs) Touche. That's that's well said. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that is good. Any association with Mythbusters? It's. uh... In honor, um, and so uh, we also um, we have a we have a, a our cohort our I, I suppose our, our greater cohort our larger cohort our sphere of influence I suppose uh, includes you who are listening, and uh, many of you have become super ifers. Matt, how does somebody become a super ifer? First of all, you're uh, they, all ifers simply by listening. You're an ifer. So how can you become a super?
1: Uh, you become a super ifer by proposing your own if, your own speculation about how the universe could be different, um, and then we actually use that to uh, transform the universe for an hour or so. Uh, and if you successfully transform the universe with your idea, then you become a super ifer.
0: That's right. That's kind of like you know, like a DJ takes requests. You know, we will mm-hmm. we will screw up the universe in your honor, uh, or you know, if it's the birthday of a friend and you want to do it. Whatever. We haven't done that yet, but you know, we're, we're see what we can feel have. free to yeah, feel free to honor somebody with an if. And um one of our longtime listeners, but and you are, by the way, a global audience as well. And one of our longtime listeners, one of our favorites, Miguel uh from South Africa, from Johannesburg, Joburg, I think I've heard it referred to. Mm-hmm, as they say. Um, as they say. And uh <laughs> this is a really fun one. Miguel didn't intentionally submit this as an if, but being a super if it was almost like a Jedi mind trick uh, on me. And so we have a Twitter uh, account. It's very popular. We have a lot of followers there. And if you haven't followed us, you can do so. We are at what the if show. And uh, Miguel, um, who I believe is at the Pora, is his uh, handle there. Um, Uh, tweeted at us, sent us a tweet, uh, mentioned us, I I don't know what the proper terminology is, but uh, sent us a sea shanty. And, uh, you know, sea shanties became very popular on YouTube during the pandemic. And uh, there's a wonderful group that did a sea shanty all about the sun and the physics of the sun. Uh, And so uh, I'm going to play it here. And then I'm, uh, it's just a couple minutes long. It's a it's a real joy. I'll, uh, we'll put the, lit, the, the the video for it on uh, our website, whattheif.com, where when you go to the, the page for this episode, you'll be able to see that, along with, by the way, lots of other stuff. We have a fabulous uh, senior researcher, uh, Gabby Vardnega, who will be adding all kinds of additional material to this. Um, so I'm going to play this uh, shanty. And uh, it's called the Solar Wind, a Heliophysics Sea Shanty. Uh, And it is submitted, it is on the channel of the NASA uh, Goddard Space Center, where I worked. (laughs) This is a fun, odd connection Uh, uh, of all the amazing things that have come out of Goddard. I did not think that a sea shanty would be one of them, but I'm, I'm glad to see it is. Sing along. There once was a star in a galaxy, it was named the sun and thankfully it weaves a solar tapestry since particles high and low. Soon may the solar wind come to bring us plasma and magnetism,
2: filled with hydrogen and helium and the solar wind will blow the solar wind charts a course pulling lines of magnetic force flowing, flowing outwards
0: from the source Those particles to and fro
2: <laughs> soon may the solar wind come to bring us plasma and magnetism filled with hydrogen
0: and helium and the solar wind will blow the Earth's spun with its iron core and the solar wind knocks at the door the no more until it must let go.
2: Once a magnetic line is freed, buckling under the wind, stampede, the wind stampede, it whips back, back with tremendous speed, sends
0: particles, particles to, to the, the poles. poles. Soon may the solar wind come to bring us plasma and magnetism, filled with hydrogen and helium, and the solar wind will go. The particles speed back here and ricochet through the atmosphere Exciting oxygen and nitrogen there, making those particles glow On and on the cycle spin, Sun and Earth are celestial kin Dancing through the solar wind, connected by its flow. Soon may the solar wind come to bring us plasma magnetism Filled with hydrogen and helium, and the solar wind will blow. Soon may the solar wind come to bring us plasma and magnetism. Filled with hydrogen and helium, and the solar wind will blow. Douglas Rowland from NASA Goddard, Uh, Ashley Greeley, Ian Richardson, Jeff Clemson, and Susanna Darling. That was wonderful.
1: So what the if the solar wind was more like the regular wind. Yeah,
0: the regular wind, good old regular wind. And um, so so let's just start with that. And I think when we do these ifs, uh, we, we have to define our terms a little bit. We have to define the if. Mm-hmm. So, Matt, what do you think when we say it's like the the? The regular wind what
1: is it is so uh the regular wind if you're presumably you're familiar with it in some sense unless you've been in covid quarantine for a really long time um <laughs> uh so you know there's air right there's a lot of air on our planet um i am informed it's it.
2: usually what it's like <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, um and sometimes that air moves around right um, and when it moves around uh, particularly quickly or intensely, well, we call that wind, um, and that sometimes has interesting effects. Like it can cool you off. Uh, it can blow your hair in a um, entrancing or uh, seductive manner. Sometimes uh, it can turn a windmill. Um, it can oh, blow yeah. leaves around. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, so you can't see it, right? Usually. Right. Um, but it has effects that are important. Um, and actually they both sort of small scale effects like blowing your wind. But also blowing your hair, um, but also yeah, large-scale. You scale blow effects, your wind. Right? We had
0: to get we had right. to
1: get a far joke in there. I'm that's right. It's it just, just laying <laughs> in the um, under the surface. But sometimes you get things like, but weather, for instance, right? Whether it's hot or cold, that's uh, that's wind. Um, that's that's masses of air moving from one place to another. Right. Um, so you get large-scale effects like that too. And every blizzard and hurricane is just fancy wind as well. Oh, fancy
0: wind. Yeah, so solar wind would really probably be the fanciest of winds.
1: Uh, well, yes, right. So when we talk about solar wind, that's um, that's a, a metaphor, right? It's not it's not wind in the the the, the sense we think of it, right. um, but it shares properties. Which is because in science, metaphors are really helpful for making sense of things that are otherwise weird. Um, so the sun has an atmosphere kind of like the, the, the earth does um, in the sense that there's this diffuse stuff that surrounds it um, that's thinner than it's uh, it's, it's main mass. Um, But uh, whereas our air here on earth is about two thirds nitrogen and about a third oxygen and then trace materials um, like argon and other weirdness. Um, the sun, which are all big, um, big atoms and big molecules, relatively speaking, uh, the solar atmosphere is mostly hydrogen and helium because that's what the sun is mostly made of. Um, so there's sort of the, the ball of the sun that you're used to thinking about. Um, and that's relatively thick, um, like that's a relatively so. Um, but then there's this cloud of, of material that surrounds it as well. Uh, and that material is really active. It, it moves around a lot. It zooms around. Um, and within the last 50, uh, essentially since the beginning of the space age, we've been able to, to measure some of this. Um, and we find that uh, the sun, that this, uh, in the same way that air here on Earth likes to move around, and do stuff. Um, the solar atmosphere does the same sort of thing. Um, uh, it moves. It's uh, it, it blows. There are storms, um, uh, and sometimes we get to interact with some of those uh, th- that material that blows off the surface of the sun as well. So we talk about uh, the solar wind. We talk about solar weather um, because it, it shares some of those features with our our terrestrial atmosphere. Right.
0: And is this the corona? When you say the atmosphere? so
1: the the corona is part of the solar atmosphere. Okay. Um, the corona's uh, this this strange feature that um, uh, you can only see with the naked eye during solar eclipses um, because it's very thin, uh, but it's also perversely very hot. It's actually vastly hotter than the surface of the earth, of the sun. Um, so that creates all sorts of strange puzzles. Um, and uh, uh, this weirdness where the atmosphere is hotter than the surface um, is one of the reasons that solar weather is, is strange and unpredictable. And we actually have a spacecraft right now studying the solar corona, the, the Parker Probe, uh, yeah. which we did an episode on last year. You yeah, on something we did. Like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I believe as of last week, the Parker Solar Probe is the fastest man-made object um, as it skims the the surface of the sun now. Wow. Hmm. Amazing and and got to be the hottest. I mean, um, well, that's no, because we can in the lab, we can crank up temperatures pretty high if we're that's so true. inclined or if graduate students are misbehaving or something. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: And and the irony is, of course, that just as I said, is that the Corona that Corona this year and, and last year, but Corona at, at the moment has a whole different.
1: Yeah, whatever. that's right. I mean, it used to be bad <laughs> enough that it made people think of the beer, but
0: right
2: well, I will, I will point out that actually it is a case of one naming the other. The solar corona was what inspired the researchers when they were first looking at coronaviruses under the microscope oh. to be like, oh, hey, this kind of looks like that, and then name them coronaviruses. I mean, I know it also means crown, um, oh. but they were actually inspired more by the usage of it uh, in the context of the sun, if I'm remembering oh, correctly. Oh, I didn't than know that. That's great. The Latin. Yeah.
1: All right. So astronomers can take a victory lap for a little bit of virology here. All right. Nice. Right. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Or I, I was going to say the opposite that. Oh, yeah. Yet another thing we have to blame astronomers for. This, I mean, <laughs> can't believe this was created in an observatory,
1: I guess. Uh, <laughs> um, so we, so I should say we do interact with the solar wind um, uh, regularly, depending on where you live on the earth, actually. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so the, earth, so the sun um, spits out. These the, it, it blows off um, clouds of hydrogen and helium uh, fairly regularly, but space is big, so we don't always notice it. Um, but sometimes uh, you get these literal clouds of, of these particles, um, and sometimes they hit the Earth. Now, they're extremely thin, um, the, so the, the average density of the solar wind out by the Earth is several atoms per cubic centimeter um and normally like our our atmosphere has a density of something like 10 to the 26th particles per cubic centimeter Whoa, a one followed by 26 zeros yeah that's right that number so the atoms. solar wind yeah. is is incredibly thin um right. is is important thing to think about but it's going super fast um because it gets hurled out from the the sun at at high speed. So it goes something like Mach 8. Wow. And temperature-wise is about um, tens of thousands of degrees. Uh, So, again, hotter than the surface of the sun. But you could stick your hand in it, and you wouldn't feel the heat because it's so thin. There's so few particles carrying that energy.
0: Right. Would it be dangerous? It,
1: it would be dangerous because yeah. um, it's high-speed radiation. Um, right. So it would right. be—you wouldn't feel the heat, but it would do a number on your DNA um, and the the delicate lining. So this is one of the big perils of um, uh, being an astronaut, generally, and one of the really difficult challenges for long-term space habitation is that the solar wind steadily rains down on the surface of the moon for instance uh, and you will die from radiation poisoning even though the particles are very thin and tiny right and
0: our, our atmosphere protects us right and so
1: yes that's that's right um, Gabby were you about to say something it looked like you were
2: pet- yeah I was going to ask specifically what type of, of radiation is this
1: so these are um, it would be uh, alpha particles and protons so ionized hydrogen and helium um, is being hurled out uh so uh so actually, just like a layer of of rock will protect you pretty well um but that's uh but that can be hard to come by in deep space
0: yeah it's basically the so nucleus were- of an atom go ahead mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: so if you were going to feel the solar wind like an actual wind, mm-hmm. it would probably have to be a little thicker,
1: wouldn't it that is exactly right that's the um uh, that's, the, that's the first thing you would have to change is increase its, its volume dramatically uh, or not volume rather but a um, number of particles um, because even though it's going super fast there isn't enough matter there to like drive a windmill for instance and I should say this is my sole objection to the book The Martian uh, Andy Weir's uh, famous book is that it opens with a windstorm on Mars um, that sort of starts the whole series of events Um, And the problem is that on Mars, Mars has an atmosphere, but it's extremely thin. So even though they have very high speed winds, hundreds of miles an hour, uh, there isn't enough matter to actually move stuff around. So that's like the only scientific objection I have to the Martian. So the solar wind is even more of a problem. Um, you You could never get anything moving with the solar wind. Um, you actually have better luck with the light from the sun than the actual solar wind, yeah. except for solar sails. Right? Yeah. So that's interesting. Solar sails actually don't use the solar wind. Uh, um, oh. They use the light coming off of the sun. So weirdly that the pressure of, of the light is actually stronger than the pressure of the wind. Ah, yeah. so we'll,
0: we'll talk to, uh, we have uh, Casey Dreyer from the planetary society. Mm-hmm. will be coming up in a few weeks and, uh, they launched a solar sail called Light Sail. Yep. That's mm-hmm. what we talk about that. Yeah.
2: So if you were, say, you know, using the solar wind to power, let me move past windmills. I'm on space pirates. If you if you are out <laughs> yeah. there, treasure planet style, you have <laughs> yeah. your spaceship, which is cruising the solar wind. Um, because let's be honest, that's way cooler than space windmills. Um, sure. And. You know, how would you, you harvest that energy? Because, you know, sails use the wind by essentially being, you know, the Terran wind by essentially being pushed mm-hmm. um, because there is enough density of air pushing against the sail to propel a ship forward. Right. But yeah. if you were, say, converting this radiation energy to power, you know, how might that happen instead?
1: This is, this is tricky. So, um, so one thing we, one hand wave we could do is just say there's a lot more solar wind. Right. And, and we know that there are really active stars out there right. that probably have lo- much denser solar wind. Um, so you might be able to ride on the solar wind of say, uh, Vega, uh, or Polaris, uh, better than our own kind of lame star for that. So, uh, that would, that would mean that space pirates would like to hang out around young, uh, lusty stars let's say um, <laughs> that have a lot of of, of energy I, and stuff going on
0: yet another reason why i'm sure space pirates call our solar system the doldrums no doubt
1: yes <laughs> uh, that's right yeah that's right You're, the space pirates would get stranded here uh, The the sea of sargasso of of the galaxy <laughs> yeah. um
2: but like so- vega that's like prime pirate tortuga then <laughs> yeah
1: yeah <laughs> Um, so one of the interesting things you uh, uh, you get with things like the corona in the solar atmosphere um, is that because it's made of charged particles uh, it follows um, the lines of magnetic force the, the magnetic field of the Sun which is which is really intense. So the reason the corona takes on these weird spiky arc shapes is because it's following um, these strange magnetic lines that, that the Sun generates um, So, uh, you would get, I don't know, the equivalent of of the trade winds, right? There would be places where uh, the the solar wind is concentrated, and would be particularly good places to to send your pirate ship. Um, so if you were a, so that means the uh, whatever the equivalent of of solar um, Spanish galleons full of silver would be, is they would follow those lines of magnetic force around the sun. Um, because that's where the winds would be strongest, and if you're a pirate, that's a good place to hang out. So you can then raid those those ships. Um, so there would be shipping lanes, the natural shipping lanes in space for your uh, for your ships to follow.
0: I'm I'm so I'm a little confused about the, the difference between light, and, in other words, solar sails um, mm-hmm. that travel by light. And by the way, I just pointed out a couple. If you're interested in this topic, I just, it, uh, a couple of – it's 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 a great trope or a great uh, subject in science fiction. There's a lot of excellent work. Um, Larry Niven's uh, The Moat in God's Eye, a fantastic, mm-hmm. very a early one. story uh, about uh, – and, and then became kind of a series of books um, about uh, people – people with solar sails and uh very you know all the way at the other end of the temporal spectrum very recently alistair reynolds uh one of his most recent series of books the revenger series uh also for which is for young adults although it's very enjoyable for adults as well is also uh, literally about space pirates um they have uh, ships with solar sails and they have skulls on the front of their ship and nice, and I they use properly. skulls it's in solid. really interesting ways mm-hmm. it's really cool great great series by the way. I highly recommend that for uh, young adults okay. young adult adults so um but yes so sorry the, the diff- i always assumed yeah. that solar wind and light was this the same thing yeah, no that's
1: a totally reasonable error to make because as yeah. as gabby said here on earth our sails work um by the by air moving, smashing into the sail. And then the momentum from that air gets transferred to the sail. Uh, and then the boat moves forward based on that. Um, and this is uh, exactly the way we expect or our, our, our intuition goes with collisions, right? So if you're, you're playing, uh, pool, um, the cue ball hits the other ball and the momentum gets transferred and then the other ball flies away. That's the way sails work here on, on Earth. Um, so because we're using the the metaphor of a solar sail, um, we expect that to work the same way because there's solar wind. But in fact, it's a totally different kind of thing. So solar wind is useless for this kind of propulsion because there's so few particles that there's very little momentum transferred. So instead, we uh, they run on uh, what's called light pressure um, because, and uh, it's sort of a a weird quirk of relativity that light has momentum even though it doesn't have mass per se. Um, So you can hold as much light as you want (laughs) um, uh, and it won't feel uh, heavy in this way, in the way that a normal particle would. But nonetheless, the light can push on you. So, uh, light, even though it's ephemeral, can still push, um, and this gives rise to all sorts of strange uh, phenomena. Um, and normally, light, uh, the, this this pushing effect is very very small, so you don't notice it when you turn on your flashlight, right? You don't get hurled backwards. Um, so, you need an enormous <laughs> awesome. amount of light. Uh, to get this to notice this effect, um, but fortunately, the sun produces an enormous amount of light right. uh, and if your sail is thin enough and big enough, uh, then it can catch enough light to uh to actually scooch along from the light pressure
0: right and and, and of course, the thing about space space being relatively relatively frictionless um, that steady pressure. Is relentless and picks up and picks uh, Yeah, up that's speed. exactly
1: it's, it's the steady pressure. And you can also, because space um, is a vacuum, essentially, um, you can have an enormous sail, like right. hundreds of miles across, and that works perfectly well. Because um, there isn't any you know, air resistance like we would get here on the surface yeah. of the Earth. Um, so as long as you can keep it from crumpling or folding, this is the big problem with solar sails, um, it, it can catch an enormous amount of light. And then, as you say, the sun never turns off, even at night, despite what they say. Um, so you get the steady pressure uh, constantly. So if you, say, want to drive a, a spacecraft to another star, um, a solar sail is a really good strategy because you get this tiny little acceleration that just never turns off. Yeah. Um, uh, and eventually you can get up to big speeds.
0: Yeah. And in fact, one of the one of the fun features in the Alistair Reynolds, the Revenger series, is uh, that the pirates, you know, so they have these giant sails. The problem is, however, those giant sails are highly reflective. And so they have to one of the skills they have to develop is to be able to have their sails unfurled so they can get speed and go places but without uh they have to learn you know where all the stars are and what they're close to and you know basically they don't want and they, and what direction their reflection is going it's because okay, they yeah. don't want to let if they know somebody's out there they don't want to you know basically one way the pirates find each other is they see a little you know momentary flick of light and they're like ha <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and then they, they can set find course it. yeah, yeah exactly. set course exactly mm-hmm. um, so one one big difference here is oh, so real quick it sounds like uh, to summarize um, light is photons and the solar yes. wind is protons uh, yes
1: yeah, yeah. right that's a huge difference a right?
0: photons um, don't generally hurt you you know whereas protons are well hurt.
1: photons can hurt you like so sunburn for instance, is just photons True, um, true, true, hitting you, um, and X rays are photons as well. So, don't oh, okay, with fear them. the photon. Um, yeah, they just they just hurt you in different ways, right? Um, right. Some some kinds of radiation burn you. Some kinds push you. Some just hurt you emotionally. Um, <laughs> and it's important to know. Is that
2: an experience and, uh, from grad school?
1: <laughs> that is exactly yeah. <laughs> right. That's why uh, uh, so many physics grad students look downtrodden. Um, well, they, you,
0: that quantum mechanics stuff. That will. Yeah. That'll hurt.
1: Um, um, so we do. So if we're thinking about the the solar wind being um, sort of more like our wind, the big thing would be yeah. um, uh, density, right? More stuff all at once. And we do get those. We, we have some experience with this. So sometimes a particularly big chunk um, of the solar atmosphere will come hurtling at us. Uh, so we get uh, what are called solar flares. Um, and they actually do flare off the surface of the sun um so you see you, know, you can you can see the burst of light um and the sun is doing this constantly but as I said space is big so only occasionally do uh, does one of them intersect uh with the earth um uh, but when it does we we tend to notice it um so the we don't usually notice the solar wind here on the surface of the earth because as somebody said earlier the atmosphere protects us right Um, So we've got this constant rain of protons coming down on us from the sun, um, but it runs into the upper atmosphere uh, and gets stopped. And that's good because we would not you don't want to live under a constant constant rain of these sorts of things. Um, But in addition to the atmosphere, the Earth has its own magnetic field. And the magnetic field catches the solar wind um, and channels it towards the poles. Again, like like with the space pirates, the solar wind uh, follows the magnetic lines towards the poles um, and concentrates them there. Uh, And if you live far enough north or south, you can see this happen. And that's what we call the aurora or the northern lights. That's actually the solar wind getting concentrated by the magnetic field um, to to crash into the, the Earth's atmosphere. Um, so you can actually, one of the ways to chart the solar weather is just to watch, uh, the Northern lights. So if they're really active, that means there's intense solar weather going on. And if they're not, there isn't. Um, so the solar flares, uh, occasionally come in, um, and then we get, uh, the, the, uh, the increase, in the um, the amount of particles we get is something like thousands, right? It suddenly becomes vastly more intense for short periods of time. So uh, that's when the northern lights, for instance, get uh, become visible further south than usual. You know, every now and then you can see them from uh, New Jersey or something, uh, and that means that we're getting uh, a solar flare. Um, if you're an astronaut, solar flare is very dangerous because the radiation flux, you know, spikes enormously. Um, And then uh, if you are a satellite, this is also a problem, right? Because uh, the satellites are up above the protective layer of the atmosphere. Um, So uh, one of the big problems with kind of a space-centric economy, um, like we have with communication satellites, uh, is that they can get fried by solar flares. So figuring out how to build electronics that don't get toasted um, is a real problem. Right. This is why we need Space well, Force I, to fight against the sun. <laughs> to fight against solar wind.
2: Yeah. <laughs> It'll go out with a really big bucket. Um, no, the, <laughs> I, I was going to say, actually, on the topic of, of satellites, it's really cool because you know, my, my dad works on some satellite components. And okay. when they are trying to build these, they actually do bombard them with, with radiation. He had to go out to Berkeley to the cyclotron at one point. Just Gosh. test some stuff and be like, if you throw a bunch of radiation at this, is it going to crap out and die? The incident mm-hmm. you know, gets hit by by a particularly hot stream of solar weather. Um, so people Wait, do try to figure this out.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, your dad basically gets to take electronics and put them in the microwave. That is,
1: that is <laughs> yep, so that's, awesome. That's right. I and wanted see to what do happens, that. Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is called uh, a subfield of material science called destructive testing, which is basically just blowing stuff up.
0: Wait, that's um, a job.
1: That's a job. Oh, that's totally a job. This is my brother-in-law's job, actually. Um, he does destructive testing. Um, just Your brother-in-law and and Gabby's
0: dad should get together.
1: Yeah, yeah they'd have a great time. It's just
2: yeah. just destroy stuff, yeah. I also um, feel like destructive testing is just another name for if you have a toddler loose. That's destructive that's pretty testing much it as <laughs> well.
1: It's just a toddler
0: with Everything. a PhD. Toddler with a don't let the toddler
1: in this <laughs> the cycle <truck.
0: laughs> <laughs> so, so, try really hard to get it
1: <laughs> so if we make the solar wind more like the regular wind um essentially yeah. what we're going to have is a solar flare 24 7 oh right? cool. we'll always have this high flux um, yeah. which would be very pretty if you live in new jersey right it's something right. To, to keep your spirits up if you happen to be trapped there for long periods of time Right. Um, the problem being that, for instance, um, having a large satellite infrastructure is going to be essentially impossible. Um, that's not going to be, and space exploration becomes extremely difficult. Um, and in really intense solar flares, uh, infrastructure here on the ground could be vulnerable as well. Um, and the the prototypical um, event for this is called a Carrington event, uh, which we um, named after this telegraph engineer named Carrington. Um, so back in the, actually the, the late 19th century, telegraph networks were disrupted by a massive solar flare. Um, and if the solar flare is big enough to disrupt telegraph networks, you can imagine um, what it would do to a delicate um, iPhones, for instance, right? Right. Uh, so th- we have not had another Carrington event since then, but we know they happen. Um, and if the solar wind was much more active, they would happen more frequently. Uh, and it's not hard to imagine it taking down, say, an entire electric grid for a large area of the planet. too. Yeah,
0: didn't Quebec, um, there was a huge, I-, I thought there was a solar storm that might have knocked out the power grid in um, Canada. Uh, maybe important.
1: locally, that could be. I yeah.
0: Check on that.
2: Um, I, I always remember with the telegraph one. So actually, I remember reading or listening to something about this at some point. It was so strong that it actually fused. If you've seen, you know, like a little telegraph thing where, you know, they, you know, click it down. It stuck those to the bottom. What? They were magnetized so hard they couldn't pull them back up. So not only did it disrupt the lines, it disrupted people's telegraphs mid-sentence because the thing never bounced back up. It was just magnetized fused.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's hard to if you um stuff, you know, nowadays electronics are finely engineered and delicate. Um, but back in the day, these were big chunks of brass and steel. So if they got fused, that's that's an enormous amount of um electrical power that, that traveled, I want to say, a hundred million miles from the sun before wow. it got here and then was still strong enough to fuse everything. The
0: sun was um, like, you want me you want a message? I'll send you a telegram. That's right. <laughs> I got something to say to <laughs> you, Victorians. <I> something
2: <laughs> something. So if if we made the if you could feel the solar wind, what essentially you would feel is getting vibe checked back to the Stone Age,
1: basically. Yeah. and that would be a bummer. Right. <laughs> right.
0: So so yeah. actually if we so we ramp up to, to make a pull, pull a bunch of threads together here, you said, for instance, that uh, the solar wind typically has, uh, at least here on Earth, or um, a few atoms per cubic centimeter. Mm-hmm. And, and whereas our atmosphere, which is where we feel what we think of as real wind, uh, has 10 to the 26 atoms per cubic centimeter. Right. And so let's let's take that up. so let's have a solar wind that has 10 to the 26 oh. protons, I guess, per mm-hmm. centimeter, right? Um, what does that uh, feel like? And what uh, kind of yeah.
1: Uh, all right, let me do a, a quick um, number check here. It'll blow your
0: hair that. back, I
1: am guessing. And that'll um, be the end it'll of blow your hair, hair off. Yeah, it would be off. Um, you would be in. Uh, That's what we call a hair raising day. <laughs> well, yeah. So let's hear. So, um, large scale electrical technology is essentially impossible. Right? There's, there's, so, there's going to be so much electrical flux uh-huh. okay. everywhere. Right. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe you could have underground uh, infrastructure. Um, but uh, you couldn't have um, above ground signal transmission. Right. Instead. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so our modern civilization looks a lot different. Um, yeah. You're going to be getting, uh, uh, well, actually I'm not entirely sure we would be able to have life on the surface of earth at all anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the radiation flux is going to be so high uh, that mutation rates are going to be off the charts. Um uh, our atmosphere is actually going to have a very hard time, so uh, up at the top so for instance, the ozone layer comes about because of this radiation impacts in the uh, as as the solar wind hits the um top of our atmosphere um uh the atmosphere oxygen molecules break up and and form ozone so the ozone layer would probably be down at the surface of the earth now um and that's not good for breathing um uh, we might actually have the atmosphere stripped clean off as well. Uh so yeah, we'd be we'd be in a bad way, I think. Um, I like, this is interesting. Dumb. This, no. is this like
2: a – if if we still had some atmosphere, is this like a life underground kind of situation? Because it seems so. like the surface is a bit of a wasteland.
1: The surface is a bit of a wasteland. Um we'd uh yeah, maybe I don't know. I, I I would guess if you're six seven feet underground, you're probably okay in terms of radiation flux. Um, so if we could figure out a viable ecosystem that survived underground, uh, that might be pretty cool. It's cool. This reminds me of like those movies where like they live. I don't know,
0: Ice Station Zero or one, one of the other thing or anyway somewhere they live in some you know her, horrific Arctic or Antarctic environment
1: where they
0: you know occasionally they open the door and it's like. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, that's off. right. And, <laughs> and unfortunately, this is probably what space colonization is going to look like, right? You can't actually live on the surface of the moon for exactly this problem. Um, huh? You will live under the surface of the moon um, and probably the same for Mars as well. Um, right. Or God help us, Mercury or something like that. Right. Uh, the radiation <laughs> flux is just so high. But what about um, the glass so,
0: dome? Isn't uh, the, the, some kind of clear
1: dome? So if you can build a glass dome that is radiation proof, more power to you. Um, but that's going to be a very challenging project to do. Right. Uh, and actually, in w- one of Andy Weir's other books, um, Artemis, he, he talks about a uh, little bit about um, how you would build domes um, on the surface of the moon. Uh, that could uh, that could um, provide this kind of protection. Awesome. Awesome.
0: Yeah. Um so uh so Gabby, if you could do a little world building for us now, so we live in this planet, and uh the first explorers make their way to the surface um, what's uh what's happening here what's can you envision a story? so
2: yeah, I mean I'm assuming one we have now a pretty pretty big wasteland of of earth, maybe there are some regions that are slightly more okay based on a quick google apparently uh life is surprisingly adaptive um to radiation and so there is sort of a um radio resistance phenomenon that you see in for example animals around chernobyl um where repeated exposure um, to radiation actually does in some way uh desensitize them to it i could not for the life of you tell me Could not tell you a molecular mechanism for that about how that would work. Um, But I do know you can pull radioactive catfish out of Chernobyl and they're catfish, they're doing okay, as well as I guess can be expected for a catfish. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah,
1: they don't have a very exciting life anyway. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, not really. Just kind of eat and poop in a riverbed. Um, (laughs) So, you know, humanity is for the most part, I'm assuming, largely underground. Maybe, you know, as a source of power, so we can do farming underground, we have, you know, some way of harnessing all of this radiation. Maybe we took right. a, trip, a, uh, a trick out of the book of the uh, radiotrophic fungi that I mentioned uh, in the Godzilla episode, the ones mm, that are living yeah. in Chernobyl and feeding off all of the radiation there. Uh, so maybe we figured out some way that we can you know, harvest all of this crazy radiation and use it to power our lights underground to grow food and still sustain ourselves. Um, so I can imagine you sort of have Oh god, I'm bringing it back to the moles. You have mole people. This yeah. is Yay, this is coming yeah. back to the naked mole rats.
0: <laughs> and talk about windmills or or just the idea of solar power. Is this uh does this mean Matt, on the surface could we build would
1: we need to build solar wind farms? Or um yeah, you c- you could, I guess. Um uh, if you could get yeah i don't know that the as I, I my mind's kind of bending the the uh, the idea of a solar wind flux um dense enough to turn a windmill is so horrifying and intense <laughs> um, that's uh not a not a good plan actually, but if we can figure out some kind of radiation capture mechanism like Abby is talking about um then uh i don't know we could because we've got these bacteria that are uh, that eat radiation, then maybe we could take advantage of their energy production in some way. Um, maybe uh, radioactive bacteria-powered uh, batteries or something like that.
0: Yeah. So actually, I realized. So here one of the last was sort this is a fundamental question. I realized um, we feel the wind of the air because of those are atoms pushing against us, right? Mm-hmm. So they push again and we feel that pressure. Okay. This solar wind, which is these, um, basically these protons, uh, coming at us. Is that, is that literally, for, for if we took away the radiation aspect for a second, is that something we would feel like we feel the wind? And in which case, maybe it would not need to be, for us to feel the same strength, does it actually need to be the same density? As
1: um, so what, what you feel is a combination of um, density, how many particles per cubic centimeter you've got, um, and speed as well. So, uh, so, much, how much energy is, is, is in each individual particle. Um, but yeah, if you got a dense enough solar wind, um, it would push you back. Uh, but, um, as I mentioned at the, the top, it goes extremely fast, right? Mach eight, um, and is tens of thousands of degrees. Um, so I mean, worse than sticking your electronics in the microwave, it's like sticking your face in a blast oven. Um, so don't do that. That
2: sounds subpar from my knowledge of, of how life functions.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, you know, how, how the subway gets in the middle of August when the air conditioning breaks. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. like that, but there's no showtime on the moon. So.
0: <laughs> and, but the thing, so, so aeronautics on, in other words, if they want to fly on this planet, um, uh, what do they need to, It sounds like the problem would be that these particles would go through most materials or, you know.
1: Um, Yeah. So the, uh, um, you know, aeronautics here is uh, is designed for the kind of wind speeds that we get here on the surface of the earth. Right. Right. Tens of miles an hour, typically. Um, And the kind of density we have here as well. Um, But all that said, uh, it turns out that aeronautics uh, uh, can be pretty adaptive. And that's why we can fly a helicopter on Mars right now Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. is you can actually there's various quirks of aerodynamics that allow you to do some weird stuff. Um, So this might actually be a pretty cool um, uh, place to be an aeronautics engineer.
0: Yeah. I mean, you could build a plane out of sheer rock.
1: That's it, <laughs> <Right. someone laughs> it
0: might be the safest thing, you know, or the wing, just your, your, the, the, the passenger cabin or the fuselage, for instance, is made of granite, you know, just massive amounts of granite, but the wings can be whatever they need to be, but just so that you don't get fried by the wind itself. Um, fascinating.
2: fascinating. My head just synthesized the name Battlestar Brick, which is. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's good. <That's-> like <laughs>
0: That is, <laughs> is yeah, go for that. It would that be very
2: is, descriptive. It's just a brick hurtling through space, <laughs> Mach <mock> eight. <laughs> yeah.
0: that is that is one of the least known episodes where they Cylons <laughs> just throw bricks. <laughs> they just are like when we've had it. We're just gonna throw bricks at you. Um, wow, this is you know all this from a sea shanty. So I think we can say that the shanties on this planet, you know, as they develop their solar sailing um ships mm-hmm.
1: uh would be delightful. I oh, I'm so. sure. Yeah. You know, um, there's certainly I all mean, here for be,
2: space shanties.
1: Yeah. Or yeah. it would be the sound of them screaming continuous <laughs> right. as They are shredded by Mach 8 particles. Yeah.
0: They would definitely be like heavily drinking. So that I think that seems to me mm-hmm. the main ingredient of a sea shanty is the uh the drinking. Uh, no, it seems fine. Gabby, what was that? Um, you sent me another sea shanty that was by a group. Yeah, what was that group?
2: Yeah, so I sent you space shanty by the Senate. Um, and so it turns out that one is just named space shanty. But um, among people my age, uh, one sea shanties kind of took off because of, so the, the NASA one that you played earlier is actually a parody of a sea shanty called Wellerman, which became a huge thing on TikTok. Um, which hurts me to have to say TikTok out loud. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it actually is a thing that, you know, people have been making these space shanties, which use more like EDM type, um, I guess, musical equipment more so, uh, and then give it exactly the same, you know, tune and call and refrain of a shanty just supposed to be, you know, in space. And this one particularly does not do that. It's just space themed. Um, but highly recommend anyone to check it out. It's a lot of fun just to listen to, Yeah, uh, it's, it's fun. It's fun.
0: Yeah. And and what I liked about that one was actually more so that, so the, uh, kudos to the one Miguel sent us, uh, and, and I'll put the, put the name of the group there on the webpage, but, um, uh, it was very physics based, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. The other one, but the one by the Senate that you sent me, Gabby, will also put on the page, um. Was really more like the drink. It was like get the bottle down and pass it around. <laughs> you know, it was all about the yeah. drinking. And, and I think that's definitely. Um, I think if you combine the, f- the probably the physicists were afraid to do that because if you combine physics and drinking,
1: whoa! What a well. T- that's th- when. That's when you start putting electronics in the microwave again. That's. <laughs> but what a setup <laughs> again! <laughs> what a tease for next week.
0: Totally uh, unintentional, but uh, coming up next week, I believe it'll be posted next week. If not, it's coming very soon. Uh, Chris Carberry is coming back from the, uh, uh, what is it it called? The Space Alcohol. Space
2: Drinks Association. Space Drinks Association.
0: Yeah. Uh, um, Chris Carberry, we did, by the way, go to whattheif.com. You can listen to a previous episode we did with him um, called Alcohol in Space, I believe. It's got a picture of an astronaut uh, standing at a bar. Which is the side of the space station? Um, But uh, he, yeah, a lot of real stuff coming up about alcohol in space. So um, Miguel from South Africa, thank you for thank you for for shantying us for submitting this shanty. Um, I'm guessing South Africa, there'd be a lot of must be a lot of sailing right along around the tip tip of Africa there. Well, Um, once they
2: blocked the Suez Canal, yes.
0: Oh, people were actually (laughs) going back. Suddenly becomes very important. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, Imagine the songs they were singing as they were trapped waiting in traffic in Suez Canal. Um, so yeah, Miguel, thank you so much. Uh, you are super duper duper ifer uh, for submitting that. And so any of you listening, um, you can email us if you just want to send it in that way. Feedback at what if.com send us your, if ideas, Send us, uh, what ideas did came to mind as you were listening to today's show or any questions. Uh, for Matt or Gabby uh, sentiment feedback at what the if.com also just go to our website, what the if.com you can listen to all our episodes there uh, and uh, you can subscribe if you haven't already, which I recommend you do. And you can uh, right there on the front page, there's a little place for you to send in your ideas or questions or anything like that. Whattheif.com and on Twitter, where Miguel shared our shanty, share the shanty, say sh- 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 that shanty, sh- <laughs> uh, at What the If Show. Also on Instagram, uh, we'll give a big shout out uh, We are also at What the If Show, and uh, we haven't had a lot going on there, but uh, our senior researcher Gabby Vardanega is doing wonderful work, gearing up, heating up the Instagram, and I think TikTok will have to, we'll definitely have to start breaking out there. Oh God. G- Gabby oh would, God. You, <laughs> would you recommend. Um, those are only ten seconds long or something, is that right? I don't know. That what
2: was time. that was fine. TikToks can be pretty long. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. TikTok, yeah. TikTok. Um, yeah. So look for us on TikTok someday, but also on Patreon. Where we are. Um, some people have asked if we have a Patreon. We don't yet. Um, uh, but I think it would be tremendously helpful. I'd love to do that. It would help us grow the show. So, um, but in the meantime, uh, for free, leave us a review if you want to help us grow the show. We really appreciate it. Those of you who have been leaving reviews, really, it's great. Um, you can do those on. Uh, Apple podcasts or whatever, Spotify. We're also uh, doing very well on Spotify, which is nice. Uh, Whatever your service is, wherever you get your podcasts, tell them you like ours. Um, So uh, Gabby, anything you would would like to plug, any message you'd like to throw out to the solar wind?
2: Yeah, you know, um, since we are still dealing with the Corona, not necessarily the sun version, uh my plug is to get vaccinated if you can uh if you can't uh just you know stay safe and uh if you're someone who's hesitant about it definitely feel free to write into the show i am a virologist this is kind of one That'd of the things great. that i do is, so feel free to ask me questions
0: yeah any questions any questions you have and uh, or even just to share your experience um uh, having gone through this whole pandemic or uh, have you had gotten vaccinated what was it like uh, very curious, especially since we have a global audience. I'm curious about you, you all have a very very wide, for better or worse, unfortunately, there's a wide range of experiences happening around the world. So let us know how it's going. Mm-hmm. Uh, feedback at whattheif.com. Matt.
1: Um, yeah, actually, if people want to uh, hang out, um, I'll be giving a lecture via One Day University on June 7th. So if you Google One Day University, that'll pop up. Um, you can come hear me and some other folks uh, talk about some interesting things online. Oh, cool!
0: Uh, so it's like a virtual.
1: Uh... Yeah, it's like a virtual classroom. Um, I'll be talking about the uh, the universe and you.
0: Oh wow, that's fantastic! So you, if you have the universe, will be online answering mm-hmm. questions. That'll be the way to get stuff done. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Just sit
0: down. Um, and if you have any, you know, if you have any complaints about the universe, this would be the
1: time. So- uh, yes, that's right. I'm, I'm happy to field those questions Mediate. and
0: relay them to the appropriate <laughs> <laughs> That's great. One day, university. One day, university. Check it out. All right. So, uh, wow. You know, we we often fear the if. So, Gabby, if you could explain what is the experience we fear and, and now imagine it in the form of this howling solar wind, the wind of if.
2: Yeah, um, we have got, you know, so, so many ifs assailing us from this, you know, this distant sun, you know, at, at Mach 8, just absolutely <laughs> hurtling towards us, and we could not help but scream the name of the show in awe and terror at essentially being a little bit nuked and also yeeted through space. Um, That's so- right.
0: As your umbrella flips inside out because of the horrible wind of ifs, we scream wow! What? what? making no.